This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey everybody, my name is Chris. And my name is Oscar. And this is The Talking Dead, number 105, for Monday, February 25th, 2013. It's not Oscar. Why are you Oscar tonight? I don't, because we were talking about the Oscars. I meant Jason. My name is Jason. (laughs) So we both watched the Oscars last night. I don't want to talk too much about it, but I will say that it was a long, partly entertaining, but mostly kind of boring um, ceremony service. Typical, Yeah. yeah. Oscars were handed out, people fell asleep. Songs were sung, even though they shouldn't have been. Way, way too many songs were sung. Um, William and, Shatner showed up. Yeah, that beginning was weird. Like, he, what's his name? McFarlane was like doing his thing. Yeah. It wasn't great, but it wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. And then, out of nowhere, Shatner shows up. Well, they had to do it. They had to do it because the uh, the songs that he was that he did and the bits that he did at the beginning, like they're part of the opening uh, yep. uh, monologue or whatnot, they couldn't actually do. So what they did was they did them in a fantasy way. Yes, which they can get away with. Yes, I, more I, than they can if he just sang a song about boobs. I understand that he they couldn't actually do it because it was a song about boobs. The other thing is the the three numbers they did or whatever didn't really fit together in any way. No. So I could see them sitting there going, all right, even if we could do these, there's no continuity to it. It yep. doesn't make sense at all. So how can we put these together in some clever way that makes sense? Yep. And so they had Shatner as Captain Kirk come back from a couple centuries. Which doesn't make any sense because that's not real. Uh, well, making sense it's aside. Character. Making sense aside. <laughs> I mean, at least they got, you know, at least they figured out a way to do it. Yeah. But, uh, and then Jennifer Lawrence fell up the stairs at the end. Yeah. So there you go. Exciting times. Oh, and there was a Daniel Day Lewis uh, thing after that, wasn't it? Daniel Day Lewis was surprisingly hilarious. His speech was really good. Yeah, it was good. About switching places with uh, what's her name for, yeah, for Margaret funny. Thatcher. I mean, that was really, really good. Who knew he was so funny? Who knew? You know? he, well, he never does comedy. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. Maybe he should. Maybe it'd be the greatest movie ever, and he'd win Best Actor for a comedy, which never happens. The Last of the Mohicans was a comedy, wasn't it? Never saw it. You, you never saw it? No. Well, you should see that. It's a good movie. Well? He plays Hawkeye. <laughs> a different Hawkeye, I take it. No, the Hawkeye from MASH was named after the book Last of the Mohicans. Right. His I was father... thinking of Hawkeye from uh, uh, The Avengers. Oh, that's that, another Hawkeye. That Hawkeye, yes. Uh, that's a different Hawkeye. Right. But similar kind of thing, because Hawkeye in Last of the Mohicans was a, a sniper. He was very good at the long rifle at very long distances. Well, I would I would have guessed that. I mean, I yeah. mean, you give a guy the name Hawkeye, yeah. what else is he going to do, really? Well, I don't know. See things. Be a sniper, because he sees. Uh, eat squirrels from a very long distance. Uh, yeah, that would be squirrel eye. Squirrel. I don't know. No, Hawkeye. Hawks <laughs> can see squirrels. <laughs> They have their. Uh, they can see it. at two hundred feet. What we can see at twenty. That's pretty good. They got great vision. They got twenty two hundred vision. Yeah, that's amazing. That's awesome. I would like to have that, but um, I don't. So no. Instead, I have to wish you a second, a happy <laughs> secondhand wardrobe week. Secondhand wardrobe week. Secondhandwardrobe.com. dot uh, com. A secondhand wardrobe can help people feel great about their appearance, their finances, and their impact on the planet. Secondhand Wardrobe Week was created to remove the stigma that is associated with buying and wearing previously owned clothing. And why would oh, people don't like that? 
I, I guess not. I mean, I've purchased many uh, previously owned clothing in my day. Uh, yeah, certainly when I was younger, I did go into the Value Village and yeah. various other places. Now, often I went there for Halloween costumes. Yeah, I bought a dress there once. <laughs> you still have it, I bet. No, it's gone. I burned it. Oh. <laughs> that, it was a uh, I went, went as Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz, and I accidentally caught on fire that night. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good party. <laughs> yeah, second degree burns. It was great. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, Dorothy's on fire. <laughs> Yeah, that was a that was a great night. Okay, well, if if you're wearing secondhand clothes, I hope you're not lighting on fire. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, but uh, hooray to everyone who goes and does that sort of thing and <laughs> and eases the, I don't know, the burden of new clothes that it imposes on our planet. Yeah, according to secondhandwardrobe.com. Well, that's nice. All right, Jason, we've got a massive, massive podcast ahead of us here. A massive podcast. A massive one. It's just huge. We're, of course, going to... Not literally massive, though, because there's no mass to a podcast. <laughs> no, I guess not. But there is, if you... if you Momentous? No, if you imagined the weight of all the content we have tonight, right. it would be massive. Sweet. It would be just massive. All right, so last week was a sandwich... We yeah, which, the meat of the episode and the cheese of the episode, and and this one is a some kind of mass. It is. I'll let you come up with anything better than that. All right. <laughs> um, we are going to do a little bit of Walking Dead news. Awesome. Which we we don't always do when we uh, have an episode to recap. We are of course going to recap I Ain't a Judas, which aired last night. Yep. Uh, we've got listener feedback. Holy crap! Did you see that? And uh, even a special uh, song to play during really? during our break today. That's exciting. Like I said, massive All right. podcast. So let's get started. Without further ado, I think we should get into some Walking Dead news. Quick. The Walking Dead News. Say that again. <laughs> I said quit. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know, but I heard it and I'm like, I think he said quit. What's and wrong like, with this guy? Yeah, as soon as I said it, I'm like, that's not a word, <laughs> dummy. Quit. Okay, uh, the ratings for last week's yeah. episode of the program, yeah, yeah, yeah. Home. If you recall, the, the uh, mid-season premiere had amazing numbers. Yep. 12 point something million viewers. It was the biggest of all time, the biggest Walking Dead of all time. It sets the record. Last week did pretty well itself. Good, good, good. 11.05 million viewers watched. That's nothing to sneeze at. No, it's down just over a million, so not a lot. And still more than anything, I believe, from the first half of season three. Yeah. So doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That equates to a 5.6 in the 18 to 49, so uh, nothing to sneeze at, as you said. Um, and that's it. Good ratings. So yeah. uh, I imagine we'll be, uh, you know, seeing seeing uh, good ratings from here on in to the end of the season. I would hope so. I would hope so. Uh, okay, one more news item. <clears throat> and this is, a, this is a weird one. Uh, I don't know if you were watching on AMC here in Canada last night or if you just caught it on iTunes later. I don't have AMC. Right, that's right. I don't have cable. So you weren't. Yeah, so right. you didn't see this scrolling message that came across the bottom of the screen a couple of times near the beginning of the episode. Nope. That said... Something about attention, Rogers customers. Uh, Rogers might drop AMC. Blah 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 blah. If you want to, you know, make your voice heard, go to this website, call this number. Right. So we have a Dish Network situation going on with our Rogers cable here in Canada. Right. Apparently, lovely. And I was surprised to see that myself, but uh, I was like, well, that sucks. It does. You know? I mean, what if we actually lose AMC up here? 
And why is this happening? Yeah. Why does this keep happening, I wondered. Um, so I went to find out some more information, and I came across a Globe and Mail article from today. Yeah. And uh, it was all about sort of what's go- <coughs> what's going on. And here's a couple of quotes from the article. AMC had this to say, right. and you're going to like this. Okay, good. We've had a long, productive relationship with Rogers Cable and are proud of the value we've created for them with AMC's high-quality acclaimed programming. While we are hopeful we will reach an agreement with Rogers Cable that recognizes the popularity of our programming with their customers, we believe we owe it to our loyal viewers to inform them of the potential loss of AMC and its popular shows. Who writes this crap? Well, this is especially, especially bad, in my opinion. I mean, this is like... Waving my own flag, just I don't know, egregiously. Yeah, <laughs> you know, tooting their own horn, like without any any, um, I don't know, acknowledgement of the cooperation that is required from them and broadcasters. Right. You know, our <laughs> the value we've created for Rogers with our high quality programming. We'll re- hopefully, uh, you know, we believe we owe it to our loyal customers to inform them of the potential loss of AMC and its popular shows. Like, <laughs> come on, guys. Yeah, marketing department meets legal department spew out paragraph. Yeah, marketing meets legal meets, like, <coughs> toot our horn. Yeah. Like, come on. That's just brutal. Um, further on in the article, uh, it says... Rogers says that it has no intention of dropping the channel and that negotiations were ongoing. Uh, Quote, we're in negotiations with AMC and we expect to reach a positive outcome. End quote. So good. At least that's direct and to the point. Yeah. You know, we're negotiating. We hope it goes well. Yeah. And that's it. That's all they need to say. So uh, one other interesting fact that came out of this article, which is related to all this. Uh, BBM Canada, which I don't know if you've ever heard of. I had never heard of this organization. They are Canada's television and radio ratings association or something like that. What does BBM stand for? I tried to find out on their website. I could not. Does it stand for Blackberry Messenger? (laughs) I don't think so. Not in this case. (laughs) Not in this case. But they're like the the Nielsen ratings, but for Canada. Sweet. I'd never even heard of this group. That's weird. Um, But this article revealed that apparently none of the AMC TV shows appear in Canada's list of the top 30 shows by viewers. Really? Top 30, and not even one. Not Mad Men, not Breaking Bad, not Walking Dead, not nothing. Hmm. Um, so... Is it not as popular in Canada, or are they just not tracking the ratings properly? Well, I, I'm going to have to assume that they know what they're doing and they're tracking the ratings properly. Right. Let's just use that as a baseline. Sure. So it's just for some reason not as popular. Now, it could easily be argued that AMC I think is just a more difficult channel to get in this country. You have to pay for not the like the two basic levels of cable you can get don't include it. You got to go up to the expensive third or fourth tier before right. you even get access to AMC, yeah. which is a huge huge pain in the ass here in my opinion. It is. Um so maybe it's just AMC isn't quite as available as it is in the States. I'm not sure what it's like in the States, though. Uh, I don't know. But obviously this show is immensely popular down there. Right. So people are watching it in the U.S. in droves. Up here, not so much. I looked at the BBM Top 30. Yep. And the number one show was um, that one you like that I don't like, the comedy, the sitcom. Uh, Big Bang Theory. Big Bang Theory. And it had something like 3.5 million viewers per episode. Right. Which is pretty good for Canada, I, w- I would think. We've only got 35 million people. 
Um, and the number 30 show, I don't remember what it was, but it had under a million, like 900,000 something. Right. And so The Walking Dead, on a weekly basis, gets under 900,000 viewers in Canada per week. Right. Which clearly is nothing compared to the 12 million it gets, you know, in the States. Um, so that may have something to do with this. You know, Rogers doesn't really see a huge need for AMC's programming right. because they're not generating a lot of viewers for them. Well, it's, you know, chicken and egg kind of thing. If they put it on a, a, a lower, you know, less expensive package, mm-hmm. it would go through the roof. Well, you've got to think so. Right. People are aware of these shows in this country, but they just don't have as easy access to them, I think. Yeah. So the other thing, though, is I was chatting with friend of the show Dave earlier, and he said, you know, plainly, maybe there's just something different or restrictive or weird about how AMC tries to make deals with broadcasters. Maybe they're charging too much or asking for too much or, right. you know, something. there's something else about the content agreements they try to uh, put in place. Right. I have no information about that, but maybe that's the case because this keeps happening. Obviously, earlier this year, we had the whole Dish fiasco where it was gone from Dish for a while in the U.S. Right. Um, and then ultimately it came back when Dish was, you know, looking at the numbers and going, ah, maybe we should keep them. Right. So I don't know. I mean, I hope AMC is not being dicks about this whole thing and, and keeps causing these issues with their, uh, with their broadcast partners. And then blaming the broadcast partners. And then blaming them. That's even worse, you know. And putting up these websites and saying, keep AMCCanada.com and go there and tell Rogers you want to keep AMC. Well, you know. Well, Rogers, it sounds like, clearly does want to keep them, but AMC is like, they put everything out in public, and they seem like they kind of act like jerks. Well, I think uh, Rogers needs to weigh in on this. In what way? What do you think they should say? You know, I'd say, you know, tell them what's going on. You know, they're charging way too much money. They're demanding uh, a lot, and uh, we just don't feel that that the audience is there. The problem with that, I wonder if the problem with that is a legal one, though. Like... I don't think you probably can't legally disclose details of the negotiation, right? That's dumb. But AMC can say um, because they're not actually really commenting here on how it's going. They're simply saying that it is going. Yeah. And if it goes bad, you're going to lose AMC. So you know, make sure we can get the best deal that we want by letting your broadcasters know how you feel. We'd love to resolve this issue with their mediocre programming. And get them on uh, get them on board so that uh, we can make a moderate amount of money from their yeah, the, shows. The whole thing seems <laughs> stupid. And, you know, I'm no fan of Rogers Communications in this country. I think they're out to screw customers as much as anybody else. Yeah. But in this case, I don't know. I don't think AMC is really behaving appropriately, in my opinion. Well, I don't have cable. I get uh, Walking Dead on iTunes, and I'm perfectly happy with that. I don't have to deal with commercials. I don't yep. have to deal with anything. Picture quality is better, to be honest. It's not, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> because AMC, as we've said before on this show, is not available on Rogers in HD in this country. It is on right. Bell, I believe. Yeah. And I imagine when you know it comes time to negotiate an agreement with Bell or TELUS or any of the other cable TV pr- providers across the country, we're going to get the same sort of thing going on here. Yep. Rogers just happens to be the biggest, so maybe they're working on them first. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if they're bigger than Bell, to be honest, but they're one of the big two. Who knows? Anyways, so uh, that's kind of a bummer. I hope AMC does not fall off of uh, TV here 
because that would make doing what we do that much more difficult. Yep. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, uh, AMC, stop being jerks. We like watching your shows. Yeah. All right. Let's move on into our recap of I Ain't a Judas. Recap. All right. So, we open with uh, Team Prison inside the prison debating whether to leave the prison. Team Prison. 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 I'll keep saying prison. Not prism. Nope. Uh, Rick, it's essentially here sort of Rick and Glenn against everybody else. It kind of sounded to me like most of them wanted to leave or run away, but Rick and Glenn are like, no, we're going to stand and we're going to fight. Yep. That's pretty much what's going on here. Uh, Merle is locked in a cell nearby, and he's giving his advice too, which is to leave. Right. Because at this point, he is now afraid of the governor as well. He knows what he's capable of. Yeah. Um, he uh, he says that the governor has the guns and the numbers to uh, to take this place over. All he would really have to do is surround it and yeah. starve you out. Typical siege. That would be it. Take the high ground and sit there and wait till you just run out of food. Yep. So that's <clears throat> what he's saying. Rick starts to walk away. Herschel gets up and yells at him. Yeah, very forcefully. Forcefully. He tells Rick essentially that he has to man up and lead this group again. Yep. This you said this is not a democracy, so make good on that. Finally, <laughs> yeah, I trusted my family with you, and get off your ass and stop walking around crazy town get, and do something. Get your head straight. That's right. Uh, so Rick doesn't say anything, but he we cut to him going outside to scan the perimeter, mm-hmm. as I like to call it. He stands there with the binoculars, and we see we see zombies close by at those inner gates. So they're right in that field. Yep. They're uh, they're much more tightly uh, surrounded by zombies at this point. Did you see what he saw past the far fence? He did. So he's scanning the uh, he's scanning the tree line. Yeah. And as he scans along, he sees movement go behind one of the trees. Yeah. And uh, I got an email here from Matt in Delaware, and I'm just going to read it at this point. He says, when Rick is looking through the binoculars, I had a sickening feeling, as I'm sure you did, that we were going to see Ghost Lori yet again. As the binoculars swept, he definitely saw something slip behind a tree, but I don't believe it was Laurie. They never went back to that, and he obviously didn't tell anyone. Do you guys have any theories as to who it was? So, before we answer that question, oh, okay. I just want to say, the first question is, do we think that there is actually somebody out there, or do we think Rick is seeing things? Uh, I think if Rick was seeing things, he would have saw something. Instead of just movement behind a tree. So he probably would have seen Ghost Lori standing out there beckoning to him once again. Yes. I think you may be right about that. What he did see, though, or what we as the audience saw, was did look like a white sort of shirt or white dress or something. So my first thought was, okay, he's seeing ghost lori out there he's probably not going to go out to her this time because maybe he's coming out of crazy town a little or he just knows he can't get out there safely right um but when i rewatched it a second time i watched it on itunes and as you were just saying there's no commercials and the picture quality is better yep and um i was much closer up because i was watching it on my computer here instead of my tv so i was right up to it and you, what, what happens is we see the movement, we cut back to Rick, and then we cut back to the tree. Yep. And when you cut back to the tree, you kind of can see someone's head poking out a little bit. Really? Part of it. I, I think so. I didn't notice that. I noticed the movement the first time, but then we cut back. I didn't see anything. No, I, I think you can still see it. I think hmm. I think what they're trying to show you is someone peeking around that tree just with one eye looking kind of right, thing. Right, right. So I think there actually might be someone out there or might have been somebody out there. 
Um, and it wasn't just Rick imagining things. I would agree with that. As for who it is, who knows? All, all I could speculate is the governor has left a scout of some kind, and he's just keeping an eye on them. Yep. Making sure <laughs> that, uh, you know, the governor has eyes and ears everywhere he can. How far do you think Woodbury is from the prison? Well, that is a good question. You know, later in this episode, Andrea walks there. Yeah. Um, pushing a zombie. And we, there's no indication of how long it took, but if people are walking back and forth fairly easily. A couple of hours, which puts it about 10 miles. At the most. I think at the most. Um, Two and a half hours? Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe even less. Like maybe it's maybe it's only, you know, three, four ten, miles apart. Ten minute? Ten minute walk? Well, it's got to be more than that. Or they'd be <laughs> there all the time, you know. But um, they do tend to drive, right. as we've seen. But Andrea did walk. So I don't know. I'm, I'm going to say maybe three, four miles. Just far enough that it's annoying if you had to do it a few times a day. Yeah. But... Um, not so far that you know you wouldn't you wouldn't want to do it on foot. So well, she drove back. She did drive back. So it's not like she's like, well, I'll just walk because it's only you know five minutes down the road. Typically, you're safer in a car though. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, at this point, uh, Carl comes out and he's talking to his dad and he tells him to take a break from being the leader. Yeah. He says Herschel and Daryl can handle things, and uh, Rick, you know, Dad, you deserve a rest. Yeah. Interesting. Carl is very mature. Step down. Yeah, step down. I'm surprised he didn't say, let me be the leader for a while. Wow, well, I don't know anybody would listen to a 10-year-old. <laughs> I don't know, 13. man. How old is Carl? He's 13, right? Uh, I think he's 12. 12. I think he's 12. All right. Uh, or maybe he's 13 now. He started this. Yeah, started the show when he was 12. But I don't know. They might listen to him. He's, he's you know, a serious little badass. I don't know. So we go to the opening credits, though, and when we come back, we're in the governor's apartment. He's talking with Milton about how many people they have that can fight. The governor is essentially, you know, organizing his army. Yep. And he wants to include teenagers. Yeah. And Milton sort of says, but they're just kids. What are you doing? And the governor decides that adolescence is a 20th century invention. Yep. Which kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense. You were an adult at 13. Because you only lived to 40. Right. right? Well, I don't know about that. Well, okay. We're talking about 200 years ago, not, uh, you know, 30,000 years ago. No, I understand. Or they, not the Dark Ages, right? right. Or the, you know. But life, life expectancy was still shorter at that time, 200 60. years ago. Well, okay, but still shorter. But you also had to, you know, there was more, um, you know, start and work on the farm and things like that. You know, more people yeah. stayed home, took over the family business or whatever it was. And so as soon as you were 13, 14, you were good to work. Yeah, you could get married. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it's just, you know, this century where, you know, teenagers have sort of had some time off. Right. And had got to do whatever they want. So um, he decides that they're going to go back to, you know, getting kids involved as soon as they can. Mm -hmm. But Andrea comes in and confronts him about attacking the prison. The governor claims he went to negotiate, and team prison started shooting at him. Yeah, they're crazy. They're they opened cr up on us. That's right. Um, Andrea says she's sick of the lies, and she's going to see them at the prison. And as she's leaving, the governor says, if you go to that prison, you should stay there. Yeah. Great uh, great line, I thought. I thought he delivered it really nicely. Yeah, it was, uh, it was really well, well spoken. <laughs> <laughs> Good old governor. I'd be like, yeah, thanks. That's great. <clears throat> I'd, and I'd be gone. I'd, I'd tell it. Back to the prison and stay there. Personally. But then again, I would never sleep with the governor to begin with. That, Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, she's still not quite, I think, out of his magic spell. No. She's drinking um, the tea. Although she's thinking about it. She's not quite out of it yet, though. 
But she walks outside. People are around. They're boarding up windows. They're moving weapons around, you know, thinking about getting ready, everybody ready for a war and a fight. And she finds Martinez out there talking to a mother who's saying that her son is asthmatic, so he can't fight. Right. You know, not everyone is good at this. And Andrea tries to intervene in the conversation, but Martinez says the only way to defend ourselves is with an army. Yep. Children, everybody. Yep. Armed to the teeth. We go back to the prison, and they're talking about how to clear the yard and fix the fence and do all the things that they think they're going to need to do. Um, things get a little tense, of course, when Glenn complains that Merle just can't live there. You know, <laughs> yeah. we can't keep him around. And he suggests that they give Merle back to the governor and maybe they can declare a truce. Yeah. Here's your traitor. Do what you want with him and leave us alone. That's not going to work. No, that's definitely not going to work. Not with this governor. No. Um, but uh, Herschel then goes to Merle, which is, I thought this scene was a little funny. Like, they seem to, like, Merle's kind of been locked up, but I guess Herschel could just walk in and chat with him anytime he wants. They seem to be trusting Merle awfully quickly. Yeah. Well, I think that, uh, you know, there's been enough uh, dissent in this group for long enough that they're trying to make them into a team now. I don't think, uh, I don't know if the characters, like if I can suspend my disbelief enough to believe that uh, they're coming together as a cohesive group, but I think what the, the writers and, you know, directors, what, what they're trying to present to us is they're becoming a cohesive team now. Right. Well, they've always sort of been doing that. I mean, <clears throat> I sort of think they all have been coming together. Obviously, they have been. They, they've been traveling together for a long time. Yeah. Rick is just taking a bit of a detour lately because of things that have happened to him, right? Right. And he's, you know, his story is the one that we see the most of. He is the sort of main character here, if you had to choose one. But uh, the thing about it is Merle's here, like, you know, nobody likes Merle. And, you know, one episode ago, they were... They were yelling at each other in the forest that he just cannot come back with them because he tried to kill Glenn and he tried to kill Michonne and, and they left him on the roof. They really hate each other. And all of a sudden now they're back and here he is and he's sort of locked up but not really and he's just... It felt like he was already being integrated too yeah. quickly to me. Well, they, and they gave him a knife and he was duct taping it to his arm. Oh, and throughout this episode or later in this episode, he had giant assault weapons. Yeah. You know, it was like, here you go. We don't trust you yet, but here's an AK-47 or whatever. Yeah. You know? So, um, yeah, it felt it felt a little funny to me. But Herschel goes to talk to him and they talk about Herschel losing his leg and they relate to each other a little bit about uh, missing a missing a limb. And Herschel pulls out a Bible and starts reading a verse. Right. Now, Merle finishes the verse from memory yeah. and claims that Woodbury had a damn fine library, and it's the only thing about the town he misses. Uh, you know, the damn fine library that contains at least a Bible. At least a Bible. So I guess Merle's a reader. I guess so. <laughs> Which I wouldn't have guessed, but, you know, maybe uh, maybe he's a very well-read person. Could it be. sounds like it, even if it was just in the last... 12 months or however long, or long the outbreak has been ongoing. Yep. But he's read the Bible enough to have memorized a good portion of it, it sounds like. Or maybe the part about uh, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Maybe he just happens to know that verse because it's pretty relevant to yeah. the situation. I suppose if he was reading through and he just happened to come across that, he's like, oh my God, that's all about me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he finishes by memory. 
And uh, th- yeah, then Merle then outlines to Herschel how the governor is going to kill everybody when he returns. He says he'll save Rick for last so he can watch his family and friends die yep. ugly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Merle is not sort of mincing words here about how he feels about the governor. No. He's really saying he's a bad guy and you guys need to be careful of him. Yeah. This is not going, <laughs> this is not going to end well. Um, so we cut back to Woodbury, though. The governor is uh, looking at a group of people standing around. He's assessing their ability to fight, I think. Yep. And Reviewing the troops or uh, inspecting the troops. Exactly. There's a group of people there, a lot of men, one old lady with arthritis. Yep. And he tells her that we'll find another way you can help out. Yeah. Very nice to her. Yes. Very nice. He puts on nice governor mode. Well, for- he probably had her in the group so that he could show his <laughs> benevolence. You know, one thing about this episode that I liked is it really, really showed how he can just turn on the charm one second and be like the creepy, evil governor the next second. Yeah. You know, we got scenes right beside each other where he was one or the other, and I thought it was really great. Yep. And it kind of explains how he was able to, you know, why everyone thought he was so friendly and so great when we first were introduced to the character, and all we saw was the good side of him. Yeah. Or, I mean, not good, but at least, you know, fake, nice side of him. <laughs> right? Yeah. So we're, we get to see both in this episode, which is cool. Um, he, he comes to, to Noah, the kid that was asthmatic from earlier, yep. and Andrea pipes up and says, he's asthmatic, he can't fight, leave him alone. Yeah. But the governor says he'll fight anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, if especially if... Well. If they're defending their territory, you know, you don't have to run very far, right? Put a gun in his hand, stick him on the wall. Yeah, but, ho- hopefully, anyways, yeah. But, um, you know, chances are he's actually gearing up for an assault, so that might be different. Yeah. But uh, then again, he needs people on the wall while he's out performing his assault kind of thing. So, Well, well, you can't leave your home castle completely undefended when you're out attacking another one. That's true. It's... If I learned anything from uh, playing Civilizations for years, <laughs> yeah, leave some troops at home. True. Uh, we cut back to the prison, and uh, Carol goes to Daryl and says she's glad he came back. Uh, but he's not so sure. He calls the prison a tomb again. Yep. And uh, Carol says that uh, his brother isn't good for him. Don't let him bring you down. And they have a nice laugh about this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this... Uh, Felt a little strange to me, too. I'm glad to see Carol and Daryl back together and sort of um, um, becoming friendly with each other again. Yeah. That was nice. Uh, And she has a good point. You know, your brother's always either sort of um, overshadowed you or brought out the worst in you. Yep. And you don't need to let him do that anymore. It's true. But I think Daryl already knows that and he already feels that way. I think so, too. Uh, we go to Woodbury again. Andrea is inspecting the wall. Milton comes up and asks if he, and she asks if he knew about the fight at the prison. Yeah. He claims no. So she tells him to cover for her when she goes to the prison. She's going to sneak out. Milton says he can't do that, but she begs him to help him, help her get out of there. Right. Uh, what's so funny? Nothing. It's just... Nothing's funny. All right. It looked like you were you were laughing over there. Uh, we go to the governor. He's looking in a mirror with his eye, his bad eye exposed. Yes. This was an important scene. Okay. He puts a match up to the wound. Yeah. Is he going to do anything with that match? No, or no. He's he just, just trying to get a better look at it. Okay. The internet seems to think he was going to cauterize it. With burn a match? It. Well, but it matches fire. No. Yes, but in order to cauterize a wound by sticking a knife into a fire and getting it red hot and then cauterizing the wound, you don't just burn something with a match. 
Uh, okay, that makes sense. But I don't know. Maybe he wasn't thinking straight. I think I personally think he just wanted the light. Yeah, that's what I think. But why not turn on a light? You know, why know. not use a flashlight? I mean, I guess you're saving battery power, but you wasted a match. So it's I don't know twelve of one, half dozen of another. Um, that's I think why people were thinking he was uh, he was going to burn that thing. It did look a little gooey. It did very, look very very gooey. It looked pretty gross <laughs> and stitched up. There was still stitches. Did you see that? Yeah, was it gross. was it was gross. All right. If he wanted to cauterize the wound with the match. Uh, he was making a big mistake. He wasn't doing it right. No. Sure. I mean, can you imagine just taking a burning match and putting it in your eye? like And hoping for a good result? <laughs> even even if you don't have an eyeball there, that's not got to be very yeah. uh, pleasant. You know, I don't think so. Um, but he lowers it. Milton comes in, tells him Andrea is planning to leave the prison. He puts his eye patch on. That was the important part. He took the bandage off. Mm-hmm. We saw the eye, and then the eye patch went on. That's and true. And that's it. It's eye patch from now on. This was important. Eye patch time. That's that's right. So this was the first time we saw the eye patch. I think so. I have a feeling we've seen it before, but I understand what you're saying. It's it's sort of like moving from one phase to the next. That's right. In uh, eyewear coverage. Right. So we're going from a benevolent kind of slime ball leader to. Uh, evil bad guy governor <laughs> to ridiculous James Bond villain who wears an eye patch. <laughs> yes, maybe he should get a uh, a metal sharp hat that he can throw, and, and a white cat that he can carry around everywhere, and a gold finger. <laughs> that's right, all good stuff. Um, that's all I could think of when Shirley Bassey was out singing Goldfinger at the Oscars. Gold member, yeah. I, was I like I oh. had to. Is I, that is that Tom? Not Tom Hanks. Is that Mike Myers yeah, <laughs> singing gold? I, I moved on to other things in my mind when All that right. happened. Well, that's what I thought of. So the governor is now eye patch governor. Yeah. But Milton comes in just as he scrambles to get it on in time because I guess he doesn't want anyone to see him without his wound covered. Yeah. Does that show weakness or something? No. It might. Maybe he thinks it does. Um, Andrea. So Milton tells him Andrea is planning to leave, and the governor tells him to help her, let her go. Yeah. And uh, Milton's like, do you really mean that, or is this a test? Is this some kind of test? Yeah, and the governor kind of giggles and says, no, help her. Yep. And as Milton goes to leave, the governor says, Milton, good work. Good work. Good work. Um, do you think that Milton might be the only one of the governor's people that he actually isn't manipulating? Or is he manipulating Milton just like oh, everybody else? Oh, I think else? he's manipulating Milton just like everybody else. You don't think – I think Milton might – because Milton is the one who is doing absolutely everything that the governor says and asks, and he's he's become his right-hand man. Yeah, you know? but he doesn't have—I believe that he didn't know about the raid on the prison. Um, I believe that. Right. So I don't think he's telling him everything. He's also manipulating him. He's not—he's uh, giving him the information that he needs in order to—for uh, him to do what he needs to do. Sure. So— uh, I don't think that it's he's completely on the inside. I think Martinez is. Do you? Because I think if Martinez was more on the inside, we'd see more of Martinez's character in the show. Uh-huh. We hear about Martinez a lot. The governor talks about him a lot. But he's had like maybe four or five lines in, you know, five episodes. Well, not that's, many. That's dangerous because it's, um, if he does get a bigger part, like all of a sudden if he's got a big part and we get his backstory, he's dead. Right. Yeah. Well, that's that's what happened with uh, Axel. Yeah. Last last week. Poor Axel. I know. Um, 
But I, I don't know. I just because the governor doesn't give Milton all the information, I don't think that necessarily means he's manipulating him in some way. I think Milton might be the governor's true, only true, um, uh, you know, compatriot in this. Consigliere is that the right word? I mean, his only true like um, ally. Consul- Consigliere, I think, is what you're looking for. All right, sure. Wartime uh, confidant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that might be Milton, and I don't uh, know. and you know, the thing about it is Milton's Milton, such a kiss ass kind of uh, scared little boy. That's what I was going to say. The problem is he'll do anything anyone tells him, no matter what. It's so, hard to have confidence and to take somebody's advice seriously if uh, you know they're so subservient and terrified of you every second. And second guessing what you mean by help her. No, I, I I get that, but you know Milton has been working for the governor for a while now. You know he was his important you know telecommuting scientist, and he was doing good work. And then when Penny was killed and his work all went out the window, <clears throat> the governor kind of found a new role for him. Yeah, you know he's like you'll be my information dissemination person. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I Milton, think he's Milton's the media. He's using uh, he's using Milton like he uses everybody else. Okay, so the governor really has nobody that he implicitly trusts and works with. No, huh? All I right, don't, I don't think that 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 happens. All right, we'll see. Uh, but we cut right now to the forest. Andrea and Milton. He's obviously helped her sneak out. Yep, with and his uh, du- uh, duct tape armor. Duct tape armor, very good. And they're capturing a walker for her to use as protection on her trip. Yep. Uh, They tackle one, they cut off its arms, and then they do um, something that was the single most difficult thing for me to watch this show has showed me. Really? Yeah, I don't like teeth stuff. Oh, it was the, yeah, okay. So it wasn't the chopping of the arms off. It was no, the, no, no, no. Uh, the curbing. Is oh, that, what, that the, uh, the curb the curb stomp, yes. The arm chopping, I'm totally okay with. I've yeah. seen enough chops in this show that that's yeah. fine. Um, but they get the thing, the zombie down on the ground. They put a rock in its mouth, and then she stomps the back of its head twice to knock out all its teeth. Yeah. So it can't bite her. That, I, the first time, I couldn't watch it. I like. I had to cover my eyes and be like, "Oh, I don't want to see the teeth break. That is so gross." Yeah, you've always said you have a hand thing. Right? I have a very much a hand thing. You don't want to see hands get broken or fingers get bent on. Nope. You know, I don't like that with teeth. Yeah, teeth gross me out in that respect. Um, so, but she does it, and then they, uh, um, you know, what they're trying to do is get the walker on one of those poles so she can push it along and have some pr- protection, walker protection, as she walks. Yeah. It's a good thing the uh, the walkers, when you have them, know which way you want them to go. Because if I was a walker and uh, I had, uh, you know, my neck in a thing, I would turn around and try and get the thing that was pushing me. And and you, yeah, exactly. So or or if you get a walker that just won't move its legs, you're just going to keep pushing it over. You yeah, know? And that's not going to help at all. So. Soon you'll be dragging it behind you, and that's difficult yeah so just the fact that the walker could spin around inside that uh you know that man catcher whatever it is uh to me means that the walker be facing you the whole time right which could be unsettling well yeah (laughs) and not and they would fall over when you push them backwards or you'd have to pull them which is a whole thing because then you wouldn't be able to keep your eye on them it just strikes me as a as a bad situation what you need to do is you need to get something where you can drive a spike through their chest so that uh, you can force them to be uh, facing a certain direction. 
Yeah. It's and, a little gorier, yes, but I think it would be more effective than this. And and pushing them forward doesn't necessarily knock them over, right? The the thing around the neck is too high. Yeah. It it pushes them over and their center of gravity is just all gone. So. Or you do what they did, uh, what Michonne did. You cut their arms off completely, you cut their jaws off completely, mm-hmm. and you just put chains on them and have them follow you around. Yeah. What Done. are they going to do? Yeah. But no, uh, Andrea insists on pushing the walker along. Yep. Um, but they get into some trouble before that. More walkers are coming up, and suddenly, who comes to the rescue? Tyrese. Tyrese. Comes out of the forest and helps them. He kills a couple of walkers. With his hammer? <laughs> uh, with his hammer, exactly. And um, uh, Milton decides to take Tyrese and the group back to Woodbury while Andrea goes on. Yeah, makes sense. It does. You know, Tyrese is his friendly self saying we'll do whatever we need to yep. to fit in and do our part. Yes. Uh, we cut over to the prison, though. Michonne is doing push-ups. Merle comes to talk to her. And, uh, you know, this is the first time they've really interacted since their whole Merle trying to kill her thing. Right. <laughs> and he tries to reconcile by clearing the air and saying he was just following orders. And she goes, you mean like the Gestapo? And he goes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just like that. <laughs> He's just all nonchalant. Yeah, that's exactly what it was like. Can't hold that against me. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, Andrea and Milton, oh yeah, so this this was intercut with that. So Andrea and then Milton tell Tyrese that they'll take him back to uh, Woodbury and Andrea leaves. Right. They cut this funny. They could have just done it in two separate scenes, but what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, so we get to, back to Andrea. She approaches the prison and uh, Carl spots her in the binoculars or spots something in the binoculars. Maggie's there and confirms that it's Andrea through a uh, rifle scope. Yep. Good way to see a long distance. Andrea makes it right up to the inner gate and Team Prison uh, jumps into action to get her inside the gate safely, but they really aren't all that friendly, especially Rick. No. Um, but he does eventually say, welcome back. Now get inside. It was sarcastic, though. <laughs> well, there was a little bit of sarcasm in there, for sure. Um, is there a word for a military operation that is kind of of this nature, where you're trying to get someone into your compound? It's not an extraction. Is it an intraction? Well, it's... Uh, no, I don't... I, if there is a term, I don't know what it is. All right. Um, I was trying to think of that. I'm like, ingress? Not I, egress, but ingress? Yeah. It's, 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 it's going to be the opposite of something that you hear all the time, right? right. Like extraction. But it's not that because she's coming in. So I don't know. Right. I couldn't think of anything. Um, but this is the scene where they're now all of a sudden trusting Merle with a big gun. You know, not only is he not locked up, but they've given him a military assault weapon. Yep. And he's, you know, helping them with this whole thing. It's just Andrea with one walker. They don't need Merle's help. They don't don't know that, though. They don't know how... She might just be uh, distracting them, right? So... They have to. So be then, careful. why is the whole group focused on her? If 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 maybe they think something's happening at the back, maybe someone else should go and handle that. Oh yeah, that's dumb. You know, I just don't understand why Merle was part of this operation at all. Right. Other than they're just trying to speed his interaction into the group for some reason. I you know. I think that might be it. Um, or they just you know implicitly trust Daryl because he's such an important part of the group. You know. Yep. I don't know. That could be it. Or maybe the words of uh, Herschel rung, rung home, and everybody just kind of uh, believes that now, which is don't underestimate his loyalty to his brother. Yeah. That's, so it's just like, well, that makes sense. That's a good point. He's, he's in. Yeah. <laughs> he's in. Good. He's here. He loves his brother, so there you go. <laughs> they bring Andrea inside. Carol gives her a big hug and thanks her for saving her at the farm. 
and Andrea asks, where's Shane? Where's Lori? Yeah. So she finds out that she died during childbirth and that uh, Shane's not there. Shane's gone. She tries to offer console- condolences to Rick and Carl, but they aren't really having any of it. No. Nope. Rick won't even look at her. No. Nope. Which is uh, a bit crazy. Um, and they tell her what really happened when the governor, uh, with the governor's prison assault. She's like, I had no idea. He no. told me you shot at him. He lied. Yeah, go figure. Um, now, in this scene, I did, for all the hate that we've had for it, well, not we, but the internet, and to us, you know, to a certain degree, have had for Andrea over this uh, yeah. season, I kind of felt bad for her in this scene because it really exposed her um, manipulation and lack of information. Yeah. Right? She really had no idea what had gone on up to this point. True. And I kind of felt bad for her. She's been so in the dark. I didn't feel bad for her. No? Nope. You're like, you made bad choices and you have to make your... Well, I don't know if she made bad choices, but she made choices and she just didn't know what was going on because she was being manipulated. Right. And that didn't you didn't feel a little bad for her because of that? It's not her fault that she made such poor choices. No. She was only given the information that she had and it was all lies. Which is exactly why I don't feel bad for her. <laughs> well, I just feel bad that she was lied to so much. Eh. All right. I don't know. I did. Nobody tells anybody anything. Well, this show isn't too bad for that, right? She is getting told a lot of things. It's just, it's all incorrect. Right. Or at least not accurate. True. (laughs) Yeah. One or the other. Um, She is there to try and work things out, but Rick says they're going to kill the governor somehow. He's not interested in any sort of uh, talking about this. And uh, Herschel is the only one that speaks up and says maybe... You know, did you did he say he wants? Did the governor say he wants to negotiate? Maybe he really does. And everybody else is like, "No, forget it. They're ready for war." Right. Uh, Herschel is he the only level-headed one here, or is he just fooling himself? No, he's the only level-headed one here. They but, should get the hell out of Dodge and move on to someplace else and just get out of the governor's way. But I mean, do you think him believing that maybe the governor actually does want to talk and negotiate a settlement, for lack of a better word? Oh, that's that's crazy. That. I think that may be a little bit crazy at this point. A well, guy shows up, he shoots you, shoots at you, kills a guy. Without um, warning. Without warning, shoots into the air like he's a crazy man, doesn't take cover. He's clearly nuts. Yeah. And I don't think this is a person interested in, you know, discussing things at all. So um, Andrea decides that the only way to work it out is nonviolently or everyone <laughs> will die slash suffer. Yeah. And uh, Rick says, you can help by getting us inside Woodbury. And she says, no, there are innocent people in there. True. Which is a good point. Yep. You know, if they're going to go to war, a lot of innocent people are going to die. There's a lot more people in Woodbury, even the ones that can't fight, than there are in the prison, right? Yeah, there's 70 of them. That's what uh, Milton said at one point. Yeah. And that's, that's uh, and only about half of them are able to, you know, partake in this war. Yeah, I think they got up to 35. With the teenagers. Which is teenagers, which is exactly half. Uh, Yes, it is. So what are the other half? Well, elderly. Babies? Kids under 10. Yeah, okay. um, I don't know, people that are are unable for whatever reason. But yeah, uh, all those other people will probably be hurt or killed in this this whole thing. True. Um, So then we go to a scene outside in the prison with Michonne and Andrea. This was a really good scene. I like this one quite a bit. Um, Andrea claims that Michonne has poisoned the people with her at the, uh, at the prison with her, you know, with slander, she, which with her slander with what she's told them, which is basically nothing. Most likely not libel. Yeah, no, I guess she not. probably didn't write it down. 
<laughs> you never know. <laughs> um, and Michonne says Andrea is under the governor's spell, <laughs> which is kind of funny, but she is. She's totally She's is. drinking the tea. She is drinking the tea. Um, Andrea starts saying stuff like these those people need her. She's trying to save them, but she's also trying to save Team Prison. She's trying to save everybody. Yep. And Michonne has one of the best lines of the episode. She says, I didn't realize the Messiah complex was contagious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a good line. It was a really good one. I liked the whole thing. And then as Andrea leaves, Michonne says the governor sent Merle to kill her, and she would have done the same to Andrea if she'd left, but she didn't. Yep. This was a good scene. I, I liked that they finally talked and sort of had it out a little bit, you know? Yep. It was good. And, frankly, it was nice to see Michonne get some lines finally. It was. She's actually talking. Good Lord. She's actually doing something. It's really good. We go to Woodbury. The governor is talking to Tyrese's group, who is now inside, waiting for the doctor to come and check them out. Yeah. And he gives them the same sort of story that he gave Andrea and Michonne when they arrived. You know, everything's great here. When you're on your way, we'll give you a car and food. You know, we're the greatest people on earth. Yeah. And uh, Alan mentions that they ran into a whack job in a prison. Yep. Oh, Alan. Oh, Alan. <laughs> if you only knew what you had just done, yeah. basically, you know? They don't care. No, they don't care. From their perspective, Rick it's is a, a whack, whack job. job. It's a whack job in a prison. Absolutely. Um, so Tyrese and everybody offer to help defend Woodbury. Milton uh, asks if they can describe the prison layout. Yeah. So they are now sort of inside informants and don't even know it. They know it. Can you describe what the inside of the prison looks like? Okay, but they don't have all the details of, of what's happened to this point, right? right. So they're, they don't know what they're getting into. Oh, and, I don't uh, think that that's true at all. I think that they're full participants in uh, what's going on. If you want us to help take out the people at the prison, we're on board. Okay, but that's a very uh, high-level sort of um, level of uh, activity here, Yeah. right? They're just like, those people, sure, we saw them. They're weird. And you want to kill them? Okay. Yeah. You know? That's, that's not a lot of questions are being asked. No, but they know what they're getting into. Okay. They, they know, know that there's going to be an attack and that they're going to be providing information to assist in that attack. All right. And they were willing to actually participate in the attack. It's a very interesting scenario we've got going on here yeah. um, with uh, Tyrese, who they show up at the prison and you think, oh, good, more people, you know, they're going to form a bigger group. They're going to be able to defend themselves. And then Rick sends them packing, you know, unintentionally, pretty yeah. much, and they end up basically with the enemy, right on the other side, going, hey, we're here, and uh, we're good, because that guy's crazy. Yep. You know? <clears throat> it's interesting. It's it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah. Um, they'll turn. Like, they'll they'll turn on the governor and be part of the, uh, the Rick's group again. Well, that's the assumption, for some reason, that I have, that uh, ultimately Tyrese and the group will, you know, fall back in with Rick and Team Prison, but right now... Prisonites? Prisonites? No, Team Prison, Team Woodbury. <laughs> Is that what you're going with? That's what I'm going with. All right. Um, I didn't invent that. I heard that online somewhere. So Prisonites uh, and Woodburyans. Woodburyans. I can go with that, too. Right. I like it. Um, what happens now? So this is one of the scenes where I was like, this, I love this, because it just showed the governor, you know, he there's new people. He comes in. He just gives them the spiel, turns on the charm. You yep. know, this is like what he does. <clears throat> we go back to the prison. Andrea meets Judith. Carol tells her what happened to Lori and T-Dog. Yep. So she's starting to get all the full picture of it here. And she tells her that Rick killed Shane, and that's because Shane loved Lori. And that caused the whole big thing. Yep. 
And uh, Carol tells Andrea that what she needs to do, she can end all of this. She just needs to go back to Woodbury, sleep with the governor, and then kill him while he's sleeping. Yeah. Give him the night of his life. It's a great idea. It's a very good idea, but I can understand why you'd be hesitant to do something like that. It's uh, What, and, have sex with somebody Andrea, and then stab him in the throat? And then stab them in the throat while they sleep. That's like, you know, again, James Bond assassin territory. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, but that's what Carol says to do, you know, and she's got a point. That would pretty much put a stop to all of this. Yes, it would. So um, we uh, we go outside, and they bring a car out for Andrea for her trip back to Woodbury. And uh, Dirty car. A dirty car, exactly. It's, it hasn't gone through the car wash. Uh, she says goodbye and gets in, but Rick gives her a gun and ammo and tells her to be careful. Yep. So Rick's not all bad. You know, he knows Andrea was a friend at one time, and um, he doesn't want to see her, I guess he doesn't want to see her in too much of harm's way. Well, maybe he thinks that she's going to assassinate the governor. Yeah, that was my next question. Do you think there is some sort of plan in place that we, the viewer, are not privy to? No. No, they're just sending her back, (laughs) or she's going back because... She's going back. She has to. But then why does she have to go back? Why not just stay there like the governor said? Maybe she doesn't want to. Maybe she loves the governor, and she wants to go back and spend the rest of her life with him. Maybe. She wants to get married and have kids. Make him the happiest man alive. Maybe she—I'm thinking more that deep down, she kind of knows or believes that Woodbury is the safer place to be. Yeah. And whether she admits that to herself or anyone around her um, or not, I think she kind of feels that way. Yeah. This is, you know, I'm— I'm going to be here when the governor attacks, and he's not going to worry about me then. Yep. But if I go back, maybe I could stay on his side. True. I don't know. Um, and before the commercial, at this point, we get a wide shot of uh, her driving away. And we sort of got a good idea of how many uh, walkers are inside the prison yard. And it seemed like there were a lot. It was, yeah. it was kind of a good shot. It seemed like there were more than I thought there would be. And none on the road. Uh, well, close to the road. They were she, close to the road, she but... She didn't run any She didn't over. have to, you know, deviate from the road or go around anybody. She just drove away. Well, why not just run them over? I thought we might see her plow one down. No. I didn't think that that was going to happen. Why? Is that too risky? You might get stuck in walker goo or something? Well, I, I personally wouldn't, you know, do that unless I absolutely had to. But uh, because of that, you might get stuck in walker goo and they might get stuck in the grill or what have you. What? But... Uh, I didn't think we were going to see that. I why didn't... not? If there's a walker out there, why not have one less walker out there, run it over with the car? It's an easy way to take one out. Do you, uh, you can seriously damage your car by hitting a person. I understand. Right? You can, <laughs> uh, you can completely disable a car by hitting a person. So hitting a walker, you're chancing actually disabling the vehicle you're in. I get that. So why hit a person unless you absolutely have to? That makes sense. Put spikes on the front or uh, like a cow catcher or something. Now you're talking. Cow catcher, the problem with that is it just pushes them off to the side. You're yeah. not going to actually kill the walkers. You're just going to move them out of the way. Well, that, that that's fine. And a problem with a spike is they're just going to stick there and you're going to just accumulate more as you go. And that's eventually true. there'll be too many. That, that'd be bad. <laughs> so a cow catcher is the way to go. What you need is a convertible and somebody with a baseball bat playing walker head mailbox baseball. Right. And or a motorcycle with two chainsaws on the handlebars. Also. Like in that uh, video game. Also pretty good. <laughs> <clears throat> um, 
All right, so she drives back to Woodbury. Uh, Martinez and the guards identify, identify her as she drives up in the night. Yeah, it takes them friggin' forever to do it. Well, they point the light on her, and she gets out and is like, yeah, it's just me, don't worry. Yeah, and 30 minutes later, somebody goes, oh, it's Andrea. <laughs> well, yeah. As soon as they shone the light, I'm like, oh, it's Andrea. So I could recognize her. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Well, we knew who it was, though. But. Well, we did, but it, I just thought that the people on the wall, it took them a long time to figure out who that was. Yes, that is that is true, I suppose. Um, the whole thing felt a little, you know, untrue to me, where, like, a, like, they don't know she's left. She's apparently snuck out, right? Maybe they do know, because, I don't know, Milton was a part of it, and he let them know, but right. assuming they don't know, a car drives up, they seemed pretty open to that car just driving right up to the gate, and then... You know, shining a light and saying, who is it? <laughs> She's really bad at uh, showing up at places uh, that are hostile. Because when she showed up at the prison, the first thing uh, that they asked her was, are you alone? And her response was, open the gate, Rick. Like, just answer the question. You've got 14 people with firearms pointed at you. That's a good point. Right? Uh, answer their damn questions. And this time she drives up, like, within inches of the, the front gate and then gets out. Right, but to be fair, they didn't say that's far enough until she was right there. You yeah. know, I, I personally would have pulled over, like just uh, got within, you know, talking distance or mm-hmm. something. Uh, I would have turned off the lights, <laughs> rolled down the window, and said, "It's Andrea." Start with my hands out the window, uh-huh. open the door, and then get out slowly. She got out just like nonchalant with a with a firearm in her belt. Yeah, I'm just not surprised they just didn't shoot at her. Like, yeah. in in this scenario, with what's going on, a, a hostile group at a prison, you know, if a car is approaching, why not just take it out? Yeah, I would have shot her. Unless you know that this is somebody, but they don't. So. But I would have shot her twice. I would have shot her at the prison, and then I would have shot her back at Woodbury. Right. Okay. She's horrible at this. <laughs> she, she'd have been double dead by now. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, she gets out, and uh, she says, hey, it's me. And we immediately cut into her... Um, with uh, uh, with the governor, do we? Where are we at here? Um, yes, she's in with the governor, and so obviously they let her into the prison. Yep. And she tells him that they, sorry, let her into Woodbury. She tells him that they're living in horrible conditions in the prison. Right. I'll be okay. Yeah. Um, and he asks why she came back, but Andrea just stays quiet, and uh, he stands up and says, because you belong here. Yeah. And they embrace and start kissing. Oh, Isn't that nice? That's nice. So even though he said, if you go there, stay there, he didn't really mean it. No. He wants her back. We go to um, prison. They're inside cell block C where they live. They're all sitting around with lanterns and candles. It's very nice. Rick comes out holding the baby for once. Yep. This guy's holding his own baby. That's nice. And Beth starts singing, and everybody, even Merle, seems to enjoy it. Yeah. She starts singing a song. Every... Ten episodes or so, we get a Beth song. Yeah, my wife, I watched this with my wife today, and she said, what is this, a musical now? (laughs) (laughs) One song every ten hours of programming. It's a musical. Well, she's only seen like two episodes. She watched the last episode with me in this one. Right. (laughs) She didn't know what was going on. Uh, That's funny. You you watch two episodes in a year, and they both have a song at the end. Yep, pretty (laughs) much. You're going to think they all do. So she's singing away. Nice song. Rick Herschel and Daryl start off to the side talking about Andrea. They acknowledge that Andrea is in a jam. But to me, they seem to trust her. You think so? I got the feeling that that they did. And uh, Rick says he's going on a run. 
Doesn't give any yeah. more information than that. And Daryl, um, he tells Daryl, Daryl offers to go, of course, but Daryl says, but Rick says he should stay here and keep an eye on his brother and basically puts him in charge while he's gone. Yep. Um, Rick decides that he'll take Michonne and Carl because he's ready. Right. Um, and then one of the most interesting or clever, I don't know, shots of the whole episode is right after that, they cut to Carl outside at night by himself on watch. Yeah. You know, you're going to put a 12-year-old kid in the middle of the night, outside, walkers all around, potentially Woodbury snipers in the in the, in the the forest, who knows, yep. and just let him walk around out there. But I guess Carl's ready. I guess so. Why? I don't know. Their their watch system is really buggered up. They only got, like, the view of the front gate. Well, yeah. Get somebody on the roof and, you know, walk a perimeter, for crying out loud. Uh, it would make sense. They See, can only come from that direction. Behind the prison where we know there's a big opening, that's crazy. Yeah, why would they ever try to get in there? Yeah. <laughs> no one's ever done that before. Um, but that aside, I did think it was cool that, you know, Carl's ready. Um, Rick has is doing what Herschel said. You know, Rick is taking a leadership role here, yep. and he's saying, I'm going to go do something. You know, maybe I'll tell you what it is, maybe not, but yep. I'm going to take some of these people with me. My son is on watch. He's going to come to Daryl, you're in charge. You know, keep things going while I'm not here. So he's doing stuff now, and I really like that. Yep. Uh, before we end, though, we go back to Woodbury. Andrea has just slept with the governor. Yeah. She gets up out of bed. It's the middle of the night. She's naked. She is definitely naked. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> We're doing a recap. That's true. <laughs> that is true. She walks over to a bag, still naked. Yep. Crouches down naked. Yep. Pulls a knife out of the bag, stands up naked. Yep. Walks back over to the bed and stands there for a minute, holding the knife out close-ish, <laughs> close-ish to his neck. Actually, she's holding the knife out so that the shadow of the blade is on his neck. I understand, but... That's indicating that that's where she would strike. Yeah. Which does make sense. Um, you know, don't just... Stabbing him might just wake him up. It wasn't a very big knife. No. Um, so if you're going to do something, do it. Do something bad. Cut him through the neck. It's a good place. It is. <laughs> I can think of a good, another good place, but again, probably wouldn't kill him. Just make him really, really mad. Look where? Cut his dick off. No, no, you don't do that. There's <laughs> a, uh, a major artery on the know. inside of your thigh. Yeah. That's, that would uh, be good. That's actually a really good place to, uh, if you slice that artery, it's another one that's really close to the uh, the surface, and it's like the third largest artery, artery in your body. It'd be ironic, though, if she cut his balls off. Well, yeah, and that might piss him off. <laughs> I think it probably would. In one week, he lost an eye and his nuts. That would not be cool, but what is she? A, a nut patch. <laughs> <laughs> would he take the eye patch and just put it on? No, no. You get a special nut patch. It's made out of leather. And what? You've never seen a nut patch before? Uh, I've never had to wear one. Is that like a <laughs> cone for when a dog has surgery? It's sort of like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's gross. Um, but does she stab him, Jason? No, she does not stab him because she, she loves him so she, damn much. She does not stab him. She turns around, walks to the window, looks out. Looks conflicted, if you ask me, and the episode ends. She decided that she's going to have his babies instead. That would be something. Yeah. Do you think she's already pregnant? Uh, no, <clears throat> I don't think she's already pregnant, but I think that, uh, yeah, she loves him. Do you think the governor was asleep, or was he awake, pretending to be asleep, testing her? I mean, that's a no, dangerous... No, he was asleep. I was actually expecting him to open his eyes when she turned away. His eye. Eyes? 
Well, I? Yes. <laughs> uh, but he didn't, so I believe he was asleep. I think they had uh, the uh, the writers had ample opportunity to show that he actually was awake when he if he moved and opened his eye when she turned away. That is a dangerous game to play if you are testing someone in that way. Yeah, you'd have to be like super dumb to do that, or just super overly confident, which it's the governor, so you never know. Or super crazy, <laughs> one or the other, exactly. So I think he was asleep too. I do, yeah. And uh, she decided not to kill him. She could have ended it all right there. She would have executed Carol's plan to perfection, yep. and the show would have been over. But yes luckily, no, she still had to get out of Woodbury, but I guess she would have all night. Oh, how hard would that be? I mean, yeah, true. you know, the governor's been holed up in his apartment for a while, right? Yeah, she'd, or, have, she'd have the rest of the night to get away. And even probably most of the next day. Yeah. Right? Um, the only problem would be Milton seems to show up there a lot, so he would have found a dead governor, and he would have put two and two together pretty quick. Yeah. But anyways, she didn't do that, so the governor's still alive, Andrea's still there, she's pregnant with his babies, and uh, who knows what's going to happen from here on in. Yep. <clears throat> we got a couple of emails here that I want to read before we take our break. And sure. One is from Tyler in the UK. He says, I was really disappointed with I Ain't a Judas. It was a slow episode that was practically and uh, that was practically enjoyable to watch. Oh, sorry. That wasn't practically enjoyable to watch. There you go. That makes more sense. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't just want action from the show. I also want interesting and believable character interactions and development. I just didn't find any this time around. Merle and Herschel's conversation was a great scene, and seeing Rick contemplate what Carl said, Carl said about him stepping down as the leader was interesting, but it sadly wasn't enough to save the episode. Hmm. I don't really agree, I'm afraid, with Tyler here. Uh, the scene with uh, Herschel and Merle, I think... I sort of got into it during the recap. I didn't really love that scene because it seemed like it was just too convenient and they were, you know, just integrating Merle a little bit too easily and <laughs> felt a, almost a little out of character for Merle to be able to quote the Bible like that. But You think so? I, I don't know. Maybe not. I mean, maybe he's been a religious person for his entire life and he's read the Bible growing up. I, I don't know. It just felt like it came out of nowhere all of a sudden, you right. know, this sarcastic, redneck, racist dude. All of a sudden he's quoting the Bible. I, it felt like it was a little out of left field for me. Um, and to be honest, the rest of this episode, I thought, worked quite well. There wasn't a big action scene, but, you know, we had that in the last episode. We'll probably get it in the next one. Yeah. And this episode really just set things up. And I personally really, really loved that Andrea finally came back and interacted with, with the team prison again. It was a very Andrea-centric episode. Oh, totally. She was pretty much in every shot. Yeah, pretty much. This was about this was about her, and it exposed you know all of the things that people have been feeling, um, you know that she just doesn't have any information. She doesn't know what's going on. She's been manipulated. She's just been told certain things and you know believed them. And uh, I don't know. I think I think Andrea or Lori Holden did a great job in this episode. Yep. And everything about it pretty much worked for me, except for the Merle stuff. Hmm. I liked it a lot. Well, there you go. Evan from Massachusetts wrote in. He said, what a great episode. All the haters out there need to settle down and realize that it will take to the end of the season for the big Prison versus Woodbury showdown. So stop complaining and enjoy the ride. Yeah. <laughs> it's like these two guys, you know, work together with these emails, but they didn't. <laughs> um, a couple of, uh, uh, yeah. And so 
that's sort of a little bit more how I felt, to be honest with you. Yeah. That's, you know, it's, you need things like this. It is going to take time before it all comes together and there's a big blow up or whatever. Um, and this episode, for me, sufficiently moved things along. What do you think? Do you agree? I think it moved the storyline along pretty good. It set us up for next week, that's for sure. Uh, yes, it was a bit of a setup episode, but, uh, but you know, it's, it's, people would complain that nothing happened in this one, but I think I would disagree, you know? I think we got enough of Andrea. We got enough of um, what's going on with Milton. We found out that Tyrese is now in Woodbury. Yep. And, uh, you know, Rick seems to be getting back into the swing of things. I think so, too. And I, I like that as well. He's only slightly crazy right now. He is only slightly crazy, exactly. Oh, and, of course, Michonne, too, who uh, finally had some lines and—, and you know, made her feelings known and explained what exactly she was doing sort of with Andrea and trying to leave and then going back to Woodbury yep. and stuff like that. So, and she did push-ups. That was nice. She did some push-ups, exactly. Yeah. And the scene with her and Merle, I actually really liked. Yeah, it was good. Mostly because of how sort of easygoing he was with the whole thing. He's yeah. like, look, we just got to put water under the bridge here and move on. I mean... It wasn't personal. No. He's just trying to kill you. Following orders, trying to kill you. Yeah. I won't do it again. Because I don't think anyone here will tell me to. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. Uh, all righty. So let's take a break. After we come back, we've got listener feedback. And holy crap, did you see that? Now, something exciting this week, Jaken. Oh, yeah? Jaken. Jaken. That's like bacon, but with a J. Jaken is so excited. And not even close to your name, Jason. Pretty close. Oh, okay, close. But I, I don't know. Jaken, Jaken, bacon. Jaken, Jaken. Jaken the fat man? <laughs> or that, yeah. <laughs> um, for once, for once, uh, I think the first time ever, I actually know what music I'm going to play leading into our break here. Outstanding. So I was on Twitter the other day, and uh, I said, and I tweeted that if anyone you know makes music or or uh, is a musician, you know, and you and you want to send us some tracks, I'm always looking for stuff to play, you know, in the middle of the episode here. So. Listener Jaden Walker, who you may know from the Walking Dead cast, Jason and Karen's show, he does a comic segment for them sometimes. Right. If you listen to them, he's on there once in a while. He does songs too. So he emailed me um, this track. It's called Endless Night. He goes by The Eternal, and his music is available on iTunes and CD Baby if you like what you hear. Yep. So uh, make sure you go check it out, uh, check it out there and buy it if you like it or just uh, find out more information. So we'll be right back after this. We're going to thank our sponsor. This is Endless Night by The Eternal.
for you, the listeners of The Talking Dead, Audible is offering a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial, so you have the opportunity to try out the service. Now, we have a book recommendation here from uh, Facebook, uh, from Facebook, from one of our listeners who posted it on Facebook. Right. This is Steve in Arizona, and Steve says, I have purchased several audiobooks. In the zombie genre, I have enjoyed the Morningstar Strain series, Zombie Battle series, and the Alaskan Undead Apocalypse series. Wow. Another series of books that are more SOCOM style are the Joe Ledger novels by Jonathan Mayberry, narrated expertly by Ray Porter. So there's a lot of stuff in there. A lot of recommendations in that one uh, couple of sentences there. (laughs) I went and looked up the Alaskan Undead Apocalypse series because anything called... The Alaskan Undead Apocalypse series series <laughs> sounds awesome to me. And from Audible, the uh, uh, you know brief bit from the description is: When a plague strikes, Anchorage becomes a deadly trap for its citizens. The only two land routes out of the city are cut, forcing people to fight or die as the infection spreads. You ever been to Anchorage? Uh, no, but I've been close. I've been in Alaska. Um, well, I, yeah, I got, that counts as close, I guess. I've just been just across the border from. Uh, the Yukon Territory had lunch and then turned around and came back. I was over it a couple of times. Yeah, flying the international flights go near Anchorage. Yep, I uh, drove up the highway from Calgary all the way up to Alaska and then back. Wow! Uh, when I was a teenager, I mean, I didn't do the driving as much, but I was with uh, my friend, and his mom, and his grandfather, and we did that drive. It was a cool trip, but I was never all the way in Anchorage. Um, <laughs> And if I was there, I would certainly hope that the Anchorage Undead Apocalypse did not happen. Seriously. But reading a book about it sounds fascinating. Yeah. So I uh, uh, thank you, Steve, in Arizona for recommending those. The other ones were the Morningstar Strain series and the Zombie Battle series, or Joe Ledger novels by Jonathan Mayberry. Lots of good stuff to check out there if you are a fan of zombie fiction. Right. If you want to get any of those or any other of the 100,000 titles from Audible, go to audibletrial.com slash talkingdead. That's audibletrial.com slash talkingdead for a free audiobook. Listener feedback. All righty. So we're going to do some listener feedback now. Cool. Now, Jason, if you will recall, last week we spent some time talking about the, uh, well, a lot of things, but the little bridge outside the prison. Yeah. For one. Um, and how you sort of thought it made absolutely no sense. I didn't like that bridge. <laughs> 
Um, and we talked about, of course, the Mexican family that uh, Daryl saves or helps on the on the big bridge. Yeah. And uh, where they came from and what they were doing there and where they were going. Right. Well, we got some calls uh, and some emails about that discussion. Okay. And um, we get, a couple of listeners sort of called us out for our lack of knowledge about Southern culture. Sweet. And I certainly don't uh, claim to uh, have that much of a knowledge of that sort of thing. Well, yeah. So, so they're absolutely right. But I took a couple of the calls and uh, edited them together here just to make it a little shorter. But uh, here's Colin and Jennifer giving us more information about these two subjects. So uh, take a listen to this. Hey, guys. Love the show. This is Colin from Texas. Um, so I was listening to your most recent episode and feeling a little disconcerting how quickly um, y'all will throw the writers of the show under the bus, so to speak, by not... Um, if you can't, if you don't know the explanation for something, immediately assuming that it's a plot hole or a continuity error. In general, um, it, I think it would be best to trust the writers beforehand, especially a lot of the stuff that has to do with uh, Southern culture. The Mexican family um, probably didn't come from you know, a huge um, uh, population of Hispanics and people from Mexico in and around the South in America, and a lot of them simply don't speak English. Um, that's just a fact. And it's probably a lot more conceivable that they would come from somewhere like Texas or Mexico or somewhere like that, as opposed to coming from deep in Mexico um, and fleeing north. Hi, uh, my name is Jennifer, calling from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Um, I was listening to the podcast um, on my drive home, and I just got kind of tickled. Um, I wonder if I have maybe a different perspective on some of the things that you all bring up, being that I'm a Southerner. Like the the bridge outside of the prison over, like, you know, the creek, as we might call it. Um, that's creek. Um, I don't know. That's like a normal thing because people have to mow the grass and patrol and stuff and I don't know just kind of out in the country that's kind of a normal thing to see a little bridge keep up the good work thanks bye so there you go Jason it's just kind of a normal thing to see bridges now one other thing that Colin said that I cut out because Jennifer was there to talk about the bridge is he said that they often build these little bridges to help prevent erosion too Oh, really? Which, uh, I'll be honest I'm not sure how that works exactly but um, you know it it, it would be one explanation for why there's a mysterious bridge in the middle of a creek in the middle of nowhere, seemingly. Crick. We also call it a crick north of here, like in, in Sault Ste. Marie. In, in, yeah, in northern Canada, it's a crick as well. Eh? Yeah. Here in the big city, it's a creek, though. She's right. Um, Nigel from the internet sent in an email also regarding the little bridge outside the prison, and then we'll move on from the bridge. All right. He said, prisons often have work details. Those details are allocated funds each year by the government. If the prison doesn't use all of those funds by the end of the year, then the budget gets cut for the next year. The land outside the prison is owned by the state, too. A warden could easily have sent a detail out and had them build that bridge simply as busy work. I've seen gazebos and park benches outside the walls of prisons. Huh. Using up the budget, man. That's sure. what they're doing. Awesome. <laughs> I think that is a fine explanation for what's uh, what's going on there. Um, John from Chicago. Uh, last week, we requested that an English teacher 
um, send in the correct conjugation of the word fellatio. Fellate, yes. And uh, John from Chicago, as an English teacher, did so. Awesome. Uh, he says, you asked for English teachers, so here I am. The correct conjugation of fellatio is fellate, fellated, fellating, etc. <laughs> <laughs> so when Merle said fellatiated, that's not a word. No, it's not a word. But I guess we all knew what he was talking about. I guess we did. Thank you, John, for sending that in. Thank you. All right, Carl from Birmingham in uh, the UK sent in this uh, sound or this call with um, with his thoughts on the first couple of episodes back after the break. Hello, Chris and Jason. Uh, it's your good friend Carl calling from uh, Birmingham. Just uh, wanted to phone in my thoughts for uh, the first couple of episodes of uh, second half of season three. As you know, in the UK, we're nearly a week behind, so uh, by now you've probably seen episode three already, so uh, hopefully nothing I'm going to say is going to be too redundant. Having uh, really enjoyed the first half of season three, I've got to say, I found these first two episodes back uh, a little bit frustrating, a bit of a mixed bag. The good has been exceptionally good, and uh, for that I would say the uh, the action set pieces, especially in the last episode with um, the attack on the prison and Daryl's uh, uh, sort of bridge bridge killing rampage uh were were exceptionally well handled and i particularly like the way as well that the sense of danger from the zombies has been increased by um uh just zombies in every shot everywhere you look there's always a zombie in the background when they're outside and i I think that's that's worked to uh the the show's benefit but uh if i've got a big problem i think it's just i cannot stand andrea and i know you guys have probably already said this i'm a couple of episodes behind on your show unfortunately uh um but uh the the character of andrea is driving me nuts uh you know if she's prepared to stay with the governor now after after the head full you know tanks full of heads and all the rest of it then then i kind of give up on her um but more importantly i'm really frustrated with the way they're handling rick and i just wanted your thoughts on that one um again you may have already covered this but uh, for me, the, the big problem is just the governor just isn't quite insane enough. And Rick, they're just pushing too far in the opposite direction. I, I'm really struggling to get to terms with this super insane Rick. Uh, in, in the comic, it was fine because it lasted only a few episodes, but he was obviously on his own with Carl. And, and, it, and there, there, was, there was kind of... Uh, time for him to get his head together before he was back in charge of the group but with this whole kind of mental breakdown in front of everyone and and just the way that they're handling it 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 just I don't know it it makes him seem more nuts than the governor and uh, I'm kind of finding that a bit frustrating and I just wondered uh, um, you know if you think that maybe they've got this balance of uh, the governor and Rick um, the wrong way around Uh, okay uh, that's it I'll speak to you guys later bye bye so what do you think? I think Carl has a really interesting point here. Yeah. Now, things have changed a little bit in the last episode. Like he said, we've seen it already, and he hasn't. He uh, probably won't listen to this until next week sometime after he's after he's seen the uh, most recent episode of the show. But um, it does strike me what he's saying as, as uh, pretty true. You know, the governor is coming off. We know he's crazy. We know yep. he's got an evil side. But he's come off as at least a man with a plan. And, and, you know, the ability to get things done, whereas Rick, for a couple of episodes there, and maybe even more, was really, really out there and really not doing anything useful. True. So, you know, has the show, has the show gone too far to make Rick the real crazy one and the governor the more likable, level-headed one? We've- it's hard because Rick's our protagonist. 
Right? Yeah, and and I guess we're seeing more of his reaction to things. And sure, his storyline has been a little bit more traumatic lately. Yeah, but still, I mean, they're they're really going out of their way. It felt like now again in the last episode, things have reverted back a little bit. Like Rick has come around a little more, yep. and we've gotten more of the governor's manipulative, crazy side. But before this. I think Carl has a really good point. They were really going out of out of their way to make sort of our protagonist Rick be the nutso one. Yeah, he was definitely in Crazy Town, wandering around. Was it working for you? Did I like it? Yeah, I mean, was like now that you think about it, was it like I? I think it was. I'm not sure, but I think it was getting to me a little bit. You know, it was like I just want Rick to to do something here. Stop shooting himself in the foot so much and yeah. do something useful. Well, maybe he'll do that now. Well, maybe I'm, his uh, his little outing that he has planned will be a huge success, and uh, well, you know there won't be any more issues. Yeah, we don't know what he's going to do with Michonne and Carl. If he's, uh, we don't even know if he's going to Woodbury at this point. You know. Well, I have an idea, but it's a bit of a spoiler because it has to do with the comic book. All right. Well, let's not get into that no, necessarily. But, you know, as TV show viewers, we don't know what he's doing. So, no. you know, who knows really where where he's going. And and you're right. Hopefully it sort of brings him back and makes him the hero again. Right? Yeah. He's, he, he'd lost that status a little bit in, in my mind. And Carl, in his uh, call there, just kind of put it in perspective, I think, really well. Yeah. Um, Brent from Arkansas sent in or called in this about Axel's transformation from a creepy dude to a nice guy. Yeah. And then death. Right. Hey, this is Brent from Arkansas calling for the first time. I was listening to the show from Monday the 18th, and there was a lot of talk on the sudden transformation of Axel from a creepy, you know, sleazy dude to a nice guy. I think it was in the mid-season finale where they mentioned that Carol and Axel were on watch in one of the guard towers. That was after Axel found out that Carol was a heterosexual. So more than likely, the sudden transformation is because, you know, he got what he was looking for. So <laughs> ponder that over. Thanks. Bye. Oh, so the guard tower is a new euphemism for the advanced class. The guard tower. They're going to the guard well, tower. Well, because that's where Maggie and Glenn <laughs> went all the time, right? They yep. were in the guard tower. That's right. So you think Axel and uh, Carol had uh, had themselves a good time up there uh in the guard tower and derelicting their duty. That's right. And <laughs> that, that's not a word either, is it? Derelicting. Oh, it might be. And that turned him around, and he sort of lost his interest in the seventeen-year-old girl and focused it where it should be. Huh. So there you go. And then the edge got in the guard tower somehow, and he ruined the whole thing. Yes. So now there's a dead body up there. They've given no indication that they've gone up there to clear that out. No, but they're, they're going to need to because that guard tower is key to their survival. I think. Did he get shot in the head? Oh, I don't know. Who knows? Or maybe he's walking around up there now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He He's stuck. The ladder fell down, or he doesn't want to go down because he's afraid. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, he's a zombie now, because if he didn't get shot in the head and he died. Oh, I see what you mean. He's, he's walking around he's up walking there. He's walking around up there. That oh, could be a problem. Man. That could be, yeah. You yeah. need to deal with that. They'd have to shoot him. They'd have to snipe him from below yeah. and then go up and kick the body off. Yes. Pour the edge. Yep. Uh, all right, Nikki from upstate New York sent this call in about uh, a few different things, so let's hear it. 
Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Nikki from upstate New York calling. I wanted to throw my two cents into uh, what you guys were talking about in the last podcast about how come nobody noticed the governor showed up. I was thinking that the vehicle he was driving, he was fully capable of going off-roading, and uh, he could have even turned the car off the last like quarter mile, and they could have pushed the car there, and that's how nobody noticed. And the guy getting into the guard tower, all I can say is that guy is a freaking ninja or something because I have no idea how the hell he did that without nobody noticing him. Um, that's what I was thinking. And I also had been thinking that uh, I, I'm pretty sure Rick hasn't slept in like a week and a half, or at least since Lori died. And uh, I, I'm kind of thinking that's why he's like going over the deep end, but he realizes that he's going over the deep end. I don't know. I was wondering what you guys were thinking. I uh, can't wait to hear the next podcast. Bye. So Rick uh, hasn't slept. That's why he's crazy. It certainly doesn't help. Right. And uh, I think she's right about the, that. Yeah. The Edge is a ninja. The Edge is a ninja. And or Batman. Yes, exactly. It's two, one and the same in some ways. Yeah. Um, I'm sure someone will write in and tell us how Batman and ninjas are nothing alike. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so the governor's sneaking up. We talked about that last week. Suddenly he was just there. Nobody heard any cars coming, nothing. Um, and Nikki was saying that maybe, you know, they pushed the car the last half mile or so. That just seems grossly inefficient. Yeah, why push the car when you could just walk? Yeah, exactly. Just walk and not have to push a car, you know. Yeah. It's not like he used uh, the governor used the car for cover or anything. No, although the other he was, guy did. He was patting. He was just standing there. He doesn't care what's going on. Yeah. So... I don't know. It's just one of those things we got to let go, I think. Yep. I mean, maybe the people at the prison were just that distracted at that moment. And um, as as we know, Rick was in crazy town. Herschel was trying to pull him back, and everyone else was doing something else. So and, Carol and Axel that were actually looking in that very specific direction didn't notice the car no. pulling into their field of view. No, I guess not. No. They did not see it. They were distracted by their own, uh, how, how much they loved each other. That That is a good possibility. Yeah. It's a good possibility. I was thinking about going to the guard tower. They were on their way there, yeah. it seemed like. Yeah, it could be. And then the attack happened, and the edge almost took her out. Yep. Um, so regarding the governor's attack on the prison, here's three emails with uh, you know explanations for what was going on there. Since we speculated that the governor really gained nothing from this attack, yep. how wrong were we, Jason? We're, how wrong were we? Uh, a little bit wrong. Well... Chris from the UK writes, This was a terror strike. He's a sadist, not a pragmatist. It's not enough that they take the prison. The enemy has to suffer first. One death was more than enough. Plus, taking the yard out of the equation makes the prison more claustrophobic and the group inside more desperate. So he was just trying to make them panic a little bit. And it seems to have worked very well. Uh, Yeah, except that they're... Anyway, they're, they're only looking in one direction. Like the, they've only got, uh, you know... The prison group. The prison group. They're yeah, only looking out the front uh, door, yeah. Yeah, they've only got scouts looking out the front door. Right. But the point is that he was just trying to terrify them, and, and he wasn't trying to take over. He was just trying to assert his dominance, essentially, in certain ways. I understand. MDS from Texas, and a few people sent in this theory, um, which was not entirely discredited in this episode, but 
some things have happened that you know changed it a little bit. But what MDS said is what he was doing was trying to goad them into attacking Woodbury again in retaliation. This way, the governor can say to Andrea, well, we weren't going to retaliate, but you see how dangerous these people are. They won't leave us alone, thus cementing uh, her loyalty to him. Yeah. Now, obviously, she knows everything that happened and so on, but the theory that <clears throat> he was just trying to entice them to attack Woodbury again probably makes sense because I don't know would you say it would be easier for them to defend Woodbury against this small group at the prison or is it easier to attack the prison and try to take them out that way well <clears throat> it's a tough call trying to goad them into attacking the prison would be would work if uh, the prison group would do you know perform a complete frontal assault because mm-hmm. then the the prison would be able to uh, defend against that fairly easily. The Woodbury, you mean? Woodbury, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, but they're they're not going to attack. They're not going to, you know, go a full frontal assault because that just doesn't make any sense. They don't have the numbers to do that. So what they need to do is they need to follow the trench down to the exhaust port right below the main port, right, and then fire uh, some torpedoes in there. Got and it. And then the whole Woodbury would just blow up. But see, <laughs> that's would make sense now. But, but but I think the idea is he's trying to make them um, – like by, by executing this attack, he's trying to like piss them off and make them act rashly. Yeah. You know, act in a way that they wouldn't normally if they thought about it and planned out a proper attack. They would just be like, oh, my God, he attacked us. Let's hit him back before they're even home, right? Right. And in that sort of scenario, I think the governor could do a lot of damage to the team prison yes. because they'd be standing out in the open in the middle of the road with their pants down. Right. Um, Hopefully they don't act that rashly. Oh, that would not make sense at all. <laughs> Let's just walk down the road with our pants down. <laughs> that'll well, teach them. That'll show them. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, yeah. But e- either way, I mean, it does – Makes sense what both of these uh, these uh, people wrote into us that it's you know it was about terrorizing them right. and it was about making them sort of make the wrong decision for their next move. I see, right? It wasn't just about going there and killing one guy, wasting a bunch of ammo, and then hightailing it out of there. Right, right, right. Finally, Henry from the internet writes: during the firefight and especially during the long pause while everyone was staring at the zombie delivery truck. Maggie was just wildly firing at the edge without even aiming. Same with almost everybody except Rick. Meanwhile, they all had huge scopes. After a year or whatever of running around shooting zombies, I think that at least one of them would be able to look through a scope and take a shot. True. True that. My answer to this is they haven't had scopes and big military rifles for that long. They acquired those in the prison where they've been for like a week. Right. Right. So it's not like they've actually had a year walking around with these things, practicing using them. I think they just got there. They found all these weapons and they're still figuring out how they work. And that and uh, all of their experience before this is attacking zombies. Right. So their tactics and their comfort zone is killing the zombies, going in, clearing a house, making sure you can get away, uh, getting from point A to point B, that kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas uh, actually getting in a firefight with humans is a completely unknown situation. So their uh, their awareness in that situation is probably not as high as it would be attacking a uh, a group of zombies. Totally different thing. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. That on top of having weapons really only for like a week, like it would take me if i suddenly was handed a huge military gun with a scope on it it'd take me a long time to figure out what to rifle. do with it 
<laughs> well, you hand me any gun and I wouldn't know what to do with it. Right. But, you know, especially one that's, you know, higher tech than my car right. <laughs> or, or this computer. Yeah. I wouldn't know what the hell to do with it. So yeah. there you go. Okay, finally, we've got a call from Matt in Delaware. Um, this is really just a uh, very cool theory, I thought, on why people on the show seem to heal so quickly. Oh. I like this one. Yeah. Hey guys, this is Matt from Delaware. I uh, love the podcast. I just wanted to uh, share something I thought about on the way home today. Um, I know we always talk about how the how everybody seems to be able to heal a lot quicker in this world, and I have a theory as to why that is, and I think it might relate to the actual virus itself, because since everybody's infected, and as soon as you're bitten, uh, the body starts to metabolize really quickly, and that's how it takes over so quickly. And it's a possibility that maybe it has something to do with how quickly your body is able to repair itself. So as long as you're not dead, at least your body is still working a little bit quicker, and that may explain why we're seeing people heal very, very quickly uh, in this afterworld. So anyway, all right. Uh, love the show. Keep on doing what you're doing. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Thank you, Matt. So the virus yeah. acts as a healing factor before you're dead, and after you're dead, it just reanimates you and keeps you going a bit. Well, maybe that's the uh, the whole intent of the virus. It was engineered to uh, make super soldiers. There you go. And instead, it got out of control, everyone died, and it kept the dead walking. Uh, super soldiers. They are super soldiers because they completely are totally winning right now. Yeah, I guess so, if you look at it that way. <laughs> and they're relentless in their pursuit of victory. True. <laughs> um, but I, I, I sort of like theory. that. I don't know that anyone's, like, I don't know that I'd heard that one before. No. And I'd, I'd certainly never thought of it myself, that it's just that the virus is in people. And, um, you know, after you die, it does some crazy stuff, but before it just sort of increases your metabolism and it gets you, you know, regrowing legs and, or at least healing legs. And I mean, even the governor, good, it was just a couple days ago that the guy had his eye poked out. You'd think he'd be in a little bit worse shape, but, uh, he's not. So very, very cool theory. Alrighty, thanks to everyone that wrote or called in. We are now going to do some holy crap, did you see that? And then wrap this sucker up. Yeah. Holy crap, did you see that? Alrighty. <clears throat> Jason from Richmond, Missouri sent this to me on Facebook. And he says, Am I the only one that noticed the walker that the governor shot? This is for the previous episode, the yeah. one, the second one. Am I the only one that noticed the walker that the governor shot that tried to sneak up behind him during the prison assault was just a few seconds later bearing down on Rick as he was being backed against the fence by two other walkers? I noticed immediately on my first viewing, I've seen other walker extra multiple extras multiple times uh, throughout the show, but never within a minute in the same episode. Huh. Did you notice that I one? I did not notice that at all. I went and watched it, and yeah, the governor shoots this guy wearing kind of a plaid checkered shirt, yeah. and then like two seconds later, it's the same zombie coming up on Rick uh, really? behind him. So just one of those things. But it could be twins. Oh, see? There you go. Twin walker zombies. Yep. Still wearing the same outfit. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? Craig in Georgia writes, My holy crap, did you see that? Was when Andrea entered the gate. Rick was on her like white on rice. That was great. Take no more crap, Rick. I like that, Rick. (laughs) 
Um, and you're right. She should have answered the question. Yeah. Kara from the internet writes, my holy crap, did you hear that moment? Was you guys saying you got 400 calls from people calling the wrong number? <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just as a quick update on that, we closed our, lo- our phone lines for two hours from 10 till midnight uh, last night during uh, Talking Dead and the rebroadcast of, of The Walking Dead. Yeah. And it uh, pretty much worked. We still got about 50 calls from people calling the wrong number before 10 and a few after. Um, but 50 I can kind of deal with. That's not so bad. That's pretty good. And um, uh, and so it was basically a success. So uh, that's good. We did get a few extra emails from people sending in questions for AMC's Talking Dead. But those I can just blow through and you know delete or put in my... AMC Talking Dead email folder. Right. <laughs> so that was good. Uh, what's next? Noah from, Ken- from Kentucky says, my holy crap, uh, did you see that moment from episode 11 uh, of this season was definitely Andrea's curb stomp to that zombie's face. That yep. was pretty awesome. That was a good one. It was gross. That was the gore moment of this episode. It, it definitely was. And for me personally, the whole damn series, because I had to look away. Yeah. I didn't like it. Adam I guess from the internet, since I didn't write it down, writes, everyone saw it, but it bears uh, um, mentioning and maybe even naming. Andrea's How to Make a Walker Shield lesson was awesomely disgusting and yet strangely informative. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I like that. Cindy from the internet writes, holy crap, did you see that? Was when, uh, was that Alan I saw on the, was that Alan I saw on the wall when Andrea returned? Um, so Andrea drives back up and yep. Cindy thinks Alan was already on the wall working, you know, keeping, really? keeping guard. That's... I went and checked. I'm afraid I did not see Alan up there. Oh. I did, however, see Noah, the asthmatic kid. Oh, good. I'm pretty sure. So he's on the wall. Baseball cap. He's already up working the wall. That's so right. He doesn't have to run. That is different than working the pole. He's working the wall. That's true. Paul from the Isle of Man writes, when the governor finally revealed his eye wound and put on the notorious eye patch. Yeah. Good moment. David from North Carolina. Um, he didn't write this in as a holy crap moment, but I thought it applied. He says, uh, am I the only one who thinks Milton is equal parts terrified of the governor and harboring a major crush at the same time? Oh, you think he's got a crush on the governor? And that's that's why, why he's so nervous. He's so nervous. He's willing to do anything he says. He won't lie to him. I gotcha. Yeah. Maybe he hates Andrea because he she has the governor's attention. Right. And he's the one who wants it. This all makes sense now. See? It, it all, it's it's all, a love triangle. It's all coming together. We all have right. a love, a warped and twisted and demented love triangle going on Why here. Why is it warped and twisted <laughs> and demented? There's far too much manipulation involved. Yeah. Or is there always that in love triangles? You, you'd know. I don't watch soap operas. <laughs> Good answer. Okay, Jeffrey from Texas uh, as the last one, last, last one here. Did you see the car that they gave Andrea to drive back to Woodbury? They must, they must hate her. They didn't even put it through the car wash slash detailing section of the prison first. <laughs> well, yeah, because they have that, <laughs> I would assume. I like that. That was funny. Yeah. Um, okay, I have a holy crap moment, and All it's right. kind of a goofy one. Good. The scene when Andrea comes back, and they're they're um, not extracting, they're intracting her into the prison. Yep. Um, everybody's out there with their guns, and clearly the gate is, you know, here, and she's on the other side of it. Yep. And inside that gate, yep. you would think would be relatively safe. 
Yeah. Um, so Merle is there, and he's pointing his gun through the gate, presumably at the zombies that are just on the other side, just in case. Yeah. Um, uh, Maggie and Daryl are also there in the shot as they bring Andrea in, and they're pointing their guns somewhere inside the gate. Really? It seemed to make not a lot of sense to mm. me. They're sort of standing around, weapons ready, and uh, Maggie has a rifle, and Daryl's got the crossbow, of course. Yep. And they're just, they're not pointing them at the gate. They're not pointing them at the zombies that are just outside. <laughs> they're pointing them more sort of at the camera, which is inside the gate and seemingly at nothing. I was like, what are they doing? They're just guarding. <laughs> Yeah, but nothing. Nobody bad is coming from that direction. Well, yeah, because they only watch the one direction. It's true, except for Maggie <laughs> and Daryl, apparently. Yeah, well, they're just in. The, if they're if they if they're worried about people coming from that way, they're I think in the lo- wrong location. Right, maybe pointing the right way, but in the wrong location. So that's was me going. Oh, what are they doing? Come on. So there you go. Yeah. Do you have anything to talk about? Uh just just a small thing. I mean, they had a couple of shots of the car and the truck. In the uh, in the parking lot, and the truck still was full of supplies with the tarp over top of it. And uh, you really want to know what's in there? Uh, right? I want them to unload the damn truck. It, you know? it does make sense. Why leave it out? Or maybe that's like their go bag, right? Like oh. uh, maybe they got that all the supplies set and ready to go, so they can just jump in those vehicles and get the f out of Dodge. Right, and take some stuff with them. That See, actually is a really good explanation. That makes sense. That does make a lot of sense. All right, let's go with that. And they've been talking about leaving too. Yeah. So they don't want to, you know, take three days to pack and, you know, have to go back because they forgot their toothbrushes. They want to just get going. All right. So I'm going to have to change this to holy crap. That was smart thinking. There you go. Yeah. That's good. That's All right. good. All right. And that is going to wrap up the Talking Dead number 105. We will, of course, be back next week to uh, chat about next week's episode, which I don't have the title for in front of me right now. I apologize. But in the meantime, if you want to get in contact with us, please, please call the toll-free Zombline at one 483 zomb That's 483-9662. Open all week, except for two hours on Sunday night between 10 p.m. and midnight. <laughs> but you can call then if you want and sure. hear, hear our alternate closed message. Yeah. Uh, just don't do it too many times, because that's 22 seconds we'll never get back. It's <laughs> true. <laughs> um, you can find us on Twitter at Talking Dead. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Talking Dead. Lots going on over there. Just a quick update. Um, yeah. Two podcasts ago, we were at about 5,500 likes, and I said, hey, everybody, wouldn't it be awesome if we had 10,000 before the end of season three? Yeah. Well, before we started recording tonight, in just three weeks since then, or two weeks, whatever it's been since I said that, um, we are now up to almost or over 8,500. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it's amazing. It's unbelievable. Like, best listeners on the internet. Yeah, no kidding. That's fantastic. Um, so it, it seems like we're going to hit that ten grand before the end of the season, and I'm very, very happy about that. Now, I will be honest with everyone. I make no claims, um, or I am well aware that some of those likes come from people looking for AMCs, Talking Dead, finding us, liking us, and then just... I don't know, continuing to think we're them or moving on and not unliking. But what are you going to do? That's fine. It's not like I can tell them not to. So what are you going to do? We still have the greatest listeners, and I appreciate everyone who has emailed in and said, oh, I love your show, and you know, I've told all my coworkers, and now they're listening to you. It's, it's fantastic. Cool, I really, cool, cool. really love getting uh, 
messages like that from people. So we do appreciate it. And it looks like we're going to hit our goal. Yay. So well, hopefully. <laughs> well, hopefully. Don't yeah, count your right. chickens before they hatch. Okay. I won't do that. You never know what might happen. Uh, so that's facebook.com slash the talking dead. And finally, you can send all email correspondence to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, that will do it for another episode of this podcast. Um, until next week, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.